Epcot Center celebrates human achievements and innovation born from imagination. The boys in the back are called macaws. Because of their claws? No, because they're macaws. See, I'm a 100% grade A dragon. See? <laughs> if something can't be done with excess, then it shouldn't be done at all. The natives are getting restless. Let's have a party. W. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 112 for the week of March 29th, 2009. Thank you once again for tuning in this week. We're going to start off with some news from Walt Disney World, including updates on a new attraction opening this week in downtown Disney, things to do in Walt Disney World during the Easter holiday, and a way to experience a Disney attraction at home. With the recent buzz about D23, Disney's new community for Disney fans, I thought about the original Disney fan club, the Mickey Mouse Club, and thought it would be fun to talk with someone who knew it well, as he was one of the original Mouseketeers, so I'm pleased to welcome in Mouseketeer Lonnie Burr, who talks about his time on the Mickey Mouse Club, working with people like Annette Funicello and Walt Disney, and so much more. I'll announce the winner of our last Walt Disney World Trivia Contest before giving you a few announcements, including an update on our Everest Adventurers Weekend and party at the Adventurers Club, and then play some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. the news, I was in Walt Disney World last week, and I was excited to see the opening of the Epcot Flower and Garden Festival, absolutely spectacular this year, as always. And I was delighted to attend the opening of a new exhibit this year, the Pixie Hollow Fairy Garden. Tinkerbell and her fairy friends were there to open up this new themed garden and play area. That includes the Tinker's Nook Workshop, which has hands-on activities for kids, and every day... At 2 p.m., your kids can go and dress up as their favorite fairy and participate in the fairy and princess processional that takes place through the garden. Lots of fun. You can get a brief glimpse of the opening ceremonies on my daily Disney Diary video from March 21st. I'll put that link in this week's show notes. For many people, spending the holidays at Walt Disney World offers a wonderful opportunity to spend time with family and friends often with some added bonuses and surprises, and the upcoming Easter season is no exception. Do you think that just because you're in Walt Disney World, you can't go on an Easter egg hunt? Think again, because Disney is just starting to release information about a variety of activities that are going to be available throughout the theme parks and the resorts. Of course, you can't have Easter without meeting the Easter Bunny, right? So what better place than the Magic Kingdom? Look for times and a location to be announced soon. And each year, many of the resorts offer an Easter egg hunt or a candy scramble for kids. And other activities in the past have included pool parties, sack races, Easter egg coloring, a jelly bean tasting contest. Sign me up for that. 
and other Easter themed crafts and activities. Now, if you're going to be heading down at that time, be sure to check in with your resort's front desk for a list and a schedule of activities. Of course, as they are released, I will definitely discuss them on the show. Now, there's also going to be an Easter brunch available from noon until 6 p.m. at the Walt Disney World Dolphin Resort's Fresh Mediterranean Market. The cost for that is $32.95 for adults, $17.95 for kids under 10. The brunch is going to consist of a variety of soups, salads, appetizers, lamb skewers, rosemary ham, lots more. For more information or dining reservations, call 407-WDW-DINE. Now, do you want your Easter brunch with a little bit more, maybe a little bit of music? The House of Blues in downtown Disney on the west side offers its weekly Sunday gospel brunch with an all-you-can-eat southern-style buffet as you listen to live music performed by local gospel groups. Brunch times are 10.30 a.m. and 1 p.m. Cost there is $32.50 per person. For reservations, you can call 407-934-BLUE. That's 407-934-2583. And just because you're on vacation during Easter, it doesn't mean that you have to miss your Easter Mass, as there are several options to attend religious services while at Walt Disney World. They are always held at Disney's Contemporary Resort in the Fantasia Ballroom. Last year, there were two Catholic Masses and one Protestant service held there. Times for this year's Easter services have not been released as yet, but it's expected that it will probably follow a similar schedule. I'm also going to post in the show notes a list of other denominations and local services available near the Walt Disney World Resort. And for more information about other religious services offered in the area, check with the front desk of your Disney Resort. Many of them have a listing and maps of local churches and religious offerings. Heading back into the parks, May 1st is going to mark the 20th anniversary of Disney's Hollywood Studios. I can't believe it's been 20 years already. And while Disney has not announced any formal plans to commemorate the event, Our friends over at WDW Celebrations will be holding their Studios 20 event May 1st and May 2nd, 2009. The two-day event is going to offer attendees many opportunities to meet and spend time with like-minded fans while commemorating the past two decades of movies, music, and magic brought to you by the Walt Disney World Resort's third theme park. Registration for Studio 20 is now open at WDWCelebrations.com. And a tentative schedule of events has also been posted, which includes group rides, scavenger hunts, a history walk, and lots more. The registration fee is $6 for adults and $2 for children, as now all attendees are going to receive their registration credentials, including the name tag, lanyard, and schedule, via mail several weeks prior to the event. And as part of their ongoing charity initiative, a portion of the fee is going to be earmarked for their donation presentation to the Dream Team Project. So that's very much appreciated. Again, for more information, visit www.celebrations.com. I'll put that link in this week's show notes. Staying at the studios, Star Wars weekends are rapidly approaching as they take place between May 22nd and June 14th, 2009. And while the official list of celebrity attendees has not yet been released, it is believed that David Prowse, longtime veteran of Star Wars weekends, will be in attendance once again as the website Darth Vader-StarWars.com seem to confirm that he will attend Weekend 3 at this year's Star Wars Weekend Celebration from June 5th through June 7th. We'll definitely confirm this once the list has been released and stay tuned for much, much more information about Star Wars Weekends as it approaches on the show. 
Stepping back out of the parks, the new Characters in Flight balloon ride experience at Downtown Disney is getting set to officially open to guests as both daytime and nighttime test flights have been seen hovering above the lagoon. According to the ticket kiosk outside, the official name is Characters in Flight operated by Aerofile. And details that we're able to glean from the sign also show that the balloon will reach a maximum height of about 400 feet and that tickets will be just $10, including tax, for guests ages 3 to 9, and $16, also including tax, for guests ages 10 and up. The balloon is 72 feet in diameter and can hold up to 30 guests. It also features internal lighting, which is beautiful at night, and includes silhouettes of some of your favorite flying Disney characters like Mary Poppins, Peter Pan, and Dumbo. The experience is currently scheduled to officially open to guests on April 1st, 2009. Operating hours will be from 10.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 10.30 a.m. until midnight Friday and Saturday. Of course, weather conditions always must be permitting and actually must meet four weather status conditions. First, for flights with 20 passengers, the wind has to be 3 miles an hour or less. With 10 to 20, it's got to be between 3 miles an hour and 12 miles per hour. With 10 passengers, it could be up to 22 miles per hour, and obviously there will be no flight for any sort of storm conditions or winds over 22 miles per hour. Also, of course, there's no smoking, eating, or drinking on board. Please keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times. And strollers or baggage are not permitted. Children under 12 must be accompanied by an adult. I'm looking forward to this, uh, the first, possibly more to come, attraction in downtown Disney. Look for the attraction's website to debut soon at DisneyWorld.com slash Characters in Flight. I'll also definitely be covering this with audio and video in upcoming weeks for the show. And finally, can't get enough of the Disney theme parks and wish you could experience the attractions at home. If you're a fan of Toy Story Mania and own, or like me, maybe now have a compelling reason to buy, a Wii game system, soon you can. Because this week, Disney Interactive Studios announced... Toy Story Mania exclusively for the Wii. The new game is going to showcase an array of the games based on the attraction from Walt Disney World and Disneyland. It includes new and original galleries and also a series of mini-games, all hosted by characters from the movies. The levels are designed for up to four players of all ages with competitive and cooperative multiplayer options. It also is going to include bonus 3D features as well. It's developed by Papaya Studios, and Toy Story Mania will be available this fall, again, exclusively for the Wii. I'll put some links in this week's show notes to a few websites online where you can find some screenshots, some wallpaper, pictures, a little bit more about the game as well. That's going to do it for this week's news segment. If you have any news that you want to share, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com or to discuss anything you've heard on the news, please come by and visit the forums over at wdwradio.com. With the announcement of Disney's new community for Disney fans, I started thinking about the origins of Disney fandom, and more specifically, its roots in the Disney company itself. And as Disney archivist Dave Smith stated during the announcement of, of D23, 
The Disney sort of fan clubs originated as far back as the 1930s when unofficial Mickey Mouse clubs gathered at theaters. But it wasn't until the 1950s that Disney began to not just reach out to its fans, but form an official club for them to be members of. For the original Mickey Mouse Club television show, let everybody know who was watching that they were a member and part of this club. And I thought it would be interesting to take a look back, not just at the club itself, but what drew fans to it and cre- created really a phenomenon, unlike anything of its time, and it's a legacy that continues to this day. And who better to talk about the Mickey Mouse Club than one of its original TV members? So it is my pleasure to welcome in someone who is literally part of Disney history, a member of the original club that was made for you and me, Mouseketeer Lonnie Burr. Lonnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for coming on. Annette! Oh, no, I always get that wrong. Lonnie! <laughs> Hi! Hi, how are you, Lou? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. And it really is a, uh, it's really a pleasure to talk to you. You know, again, you. again, the Mickey Mouse Club originally, maybe just a, just a hair before my time, yet I still was able to, uh, to you watch it <laughs> <laughs> in a number of places. But, uh, you know, tell me about how this gets started for you. I know you were an actor from an early age, but how do you get the role of, of a Mouseketeer? And, and at the time, did you even know what a Mouseketeer was or was going to be? Well, I, I talk about that in my in my book. Uh, this is just our confessions of an accidental musketeer. Um, no, nobody knew what it was going to be. Of course, it was uh, Mr. Disney. So you thought, well, it's probably going to be good. But nobody knew what a musketeer was. Although Dave is correct um, uh, about there was a Mickey Mouse Club in the '30s uh, when Mickey uh, as a, for Mickey as a character, and then the uh, title was loaned out to Warner's, and they did the. Uh, uh, cartoons with uh, uh, two characters that were called uh, the Mouseketeers, and then uh, they decided to start our show, which was uh, uh, it's unique in TV history. I talk about that in the book uh, too. The book is not just about the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, although there are two chapters on it, and the what the, the longest of eighteen chapters is on it. But it talks about how seminal and innovative and different than everything else before it. Uh, it was just an amazing thing. We were the first um, human connection between all the great uh, um, characters and ideas that, that Walt had had. Uh, so uh, kids could identify with those characters as their buddies did. And he said anybody who watched the show, Walt did, uh, was a musketeer. And they saw us grow up as they were growing up. They grew up along with us, even though we were only on that long the first time. But we did... We hit 18 countries, translated into five languages, and then we ran in the 60s. Uh, soon afterwards, the first run went off in 59 and started rerunning in 62. Then the 70s, prompting the, the second new Mickey Mouse Club, and then the 80s when the Disney Channel came on. And then in 89, they started the what's called the earless third version of the Mickey Mouse Club. And then when they went off, we ran again from 1995 to September 2002, meaning we've covered two centuries and every decade since the 50s. But the show had elements of it that nobody else had done before. There were kids on TV uh, in characters. I was one of them, but like on uh, uh, the Danny Thomas show, and these are kids playing characters. Then there was um, uh, Howdy Doody, and I had kids on live with him, but they weren't focused on the kids. It was all on Howdy and uh, and Clarabelle, and uh, by the way, uh, uh, Bob Keeshan, who uh, uh, premiered the same same day that we did on October 3rd, 1955, um, uh, as um, Captain Kangaroo, 
and he was the first Clarabelle of three on uh, Howdy Doody. And uh, we had been on TV first when Disneyland opened in July, uh, June, though. Oh, my goodness, someone's going to come to my house. June 17, <laughs> 1955. Uh, but well, our show didn't premiere until later in October. But the, having the kids that you could sing along with and, and find out what they're doing and have them talk as themselves, not as a character, was unique. Um, now, there had been cartoons before, but they, they weren't Disney cartoons. And that segment of the show, there were four segments, uh, had all these great cartoons with the Mouseketeers uh, introduced. And then there were uh, what I call the didactic or the learning things, uh, which um, Sesame Street, the people who developed that, have said what a debt they owed to the Mickey Mouse Club. They took that a, a longer way to learning, but we had that too. And then we had the first, what I've always called, the teen soaps. There have been soap operas uh, on radio and on the TV, but they were for adults. We had Spin and Marty and uh, the Annette Serial and uh, Quirky and White Shadow and uh, Hardy Boys, and these were really soaps for young people as opposed to for adults. So uh, the show was something that had never, never been, you know, thought of before. Yeah, and that's one of the things, like I said, that was very unique. And again, this was sort of Walt's second foray into television, obviously, the first one being uh, the Disneyland series. Both That's sort the year of, before, 54, yeah. Right, and both sort of, uh, you know, were vehicles to help finance and promote um, the building of Disneyland. But you're right, as far as what this did for and with children, because it wasn't just the variety show with singing and dancing and, and whatnot. Again, you you guys are now not characters but yourselves, but it really was, you know, you had like the newsreel and things like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. The, the learning aspects of the show, like how children celebrated uh, Christmas in Thailand. Uh, one of the first ones was uh, uh, how to become a pilot and an airline stewardess. Now, given the time frame we're in now, I apologize for airline stewardess. We don't call them that any longer. <laughs> but that's what it was then. Uh, but they learned about careers and uh, uh, going to, going to how, what it is to go to school in South America and all kind of things like that, which, again, there were no newsreels or things like that for kids, and the ones in theaters were all for adults. Right, and in and in 1955, uh, you're how old when you get the role of a Mouseketeer? I was 11 when we started, and turned 12 mid-year, May 31st. And my girlfriend, the first uh, year, and through the Mickey Mouse Club uh, Circus at Disneyland, uh, that uh, November, December, and January 56, my girlfriend was uh, Annie Annette Fotocello, and she was a little older than me. She turned 13 <laughs> later that year, and um, she was very kind about that in her autobiography. <laughs> I'm going to touch on that in a little bit because, you know, not only the fact that you're 11 dating an older woman who just happens to be Annette Funicello. So, <laughs> That's unusual in the 50s. I started dating in nine in the 50s. That was quite shocking. Let's my, my mom and dad were a dance team in vaudeville and, uh, and um, also nightclubs called Dot and Dash. Right. So they would go out dancing, and I liked to dance, and I was a good dancer. I started dancing uh, lessons when I was four. And... Um, I uh, would take a, a girl along as a date, and we'd dance, and my mom and dad would dance, and so I started dating at nine. Now, now, that's not so unusual, but in the 50s, it was quite, a, people would look and say, my goodness, what are those children doing? <laughs> <laughs> but tell me, uh, tell me about, maybe, you know, when you're, you're, you're called, and I guess you auditioned for the role No, it's, uh, I was, that's why I call it Confessions of an Accidental Mouseketeer. Now, actually, if we get down to the facts, there were two accidental mouseketeers. One was Annie. Uh, she was uh, just in the ballet chorus at a ballet that uh, Walt Disney happened to go to 
and he said, I want her on the show. And she's the only person of the 39 kids who are on our show the whole time that was chosen by Wong on that Funny Cello. And um, I was accident this. I, um, my accident is that I had, I was established in the business. I had done uh, The Greatest Show on Earth with The Mill. I had done Hans Christian Anderson with Danny Kay. I had been on like about a dozen Colbert Comedy Hours. I had had my first lead on TV and on stage the same year on TV. It was The Range Rider as the title character, The Holy Terror, which I did my own writing because I'd had a horse before that. I had done a lot of work, so I read for a much higher paying job as the actor Marty on Spin and Marty. And I did not get that. Now, what they were having was uh, what they called then and now are cattle calls, which is uh, hundreds of actors or singers or dancers or all three come out and audition. And this was massive for weeks. And uh, my agent just didn't want me going on that because I had done weeds, you know. So uh, one day, uh, my agent, and this happened, I had other agents prior to that, but mother became an agent later, and she was my agent then, and she got a call from someone, uh, another kid I had worked with, professionally, and they said they need a boy right away down at Capitol on Melrose, which is right by Paramount. And she raced over from uh, here in Glendale, and, and, um, and I went in and uh, sang on, on the record, and it was all kids, one adult, Jimmy Don. And afterwards, uh, he said, do you also, uh, you know, dance and act? And I said, really, I act and dance better than I sing. And I had a private audition uh, for uh, Hal Alquist and the uh, executive producer, Bill Walsh, and Jimmy in um, the animation building um, uh, right across from the theater on the Disney lot. And that's a lot different than a mass audition with the amateurs, because Walsh had said he didn't want professional kids. And somehow, of the 39, two of us slid by, because uh, Sharon had done a lot of work as a dancer uh, previous to the Mickey Mouse Club. But I was primarily an actor who also sang and danced, and um, I got in there as a fluke, because mm. I wasn't going to audition and go through that process. My age just wouldn't let me do it. So that's why I, I call it Confessions of an Accidental Masketeer. Right, and I actually know uh, for people who, who visit Walt Disney World and go to the Walt Disney One Man's Dream exhibit, there's a huge exhibit there about the Mickey Mouse Club, and there's a quote from Walt there where he says, you know, he doesn't want any of these professional kids. He doesn't want mm-hmm. kids, I think he said, that that tap dance and, and can play the trumpet and, and you know, mm-hmm. and skip rope at the same time. But that's actually what you were able to do. I mean, you yeah, were one of those Yeah, well, I didn't play trumpet or skip rope, but I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I was a professional actor and dancer and singer and trained uh, and, and had done a lot of work. And uh, I guess I was um, genuine enough that I wasn't considered what... Uh, he was talking about a certain type of child um, actor, I think, uh, really, and uh, that was a little affected and a little too perfect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people say that the kids uh, on the second version in the 70s, that's one of the reasons it didn't last very long, that they were just too good, too perfect. You know, They weren't like real kids. They didn't make mistakes. But our shooting schedule uh, was so uh, difficult that sometimes we had to leave things in where somebody's singing uh, you know, off-key or they missed the lyric or they missed a step a little bit. We couldn't correct it, didn't have time for it, and that helped the uh, kids watching say, hey, it's like real people. <laughs> you know, It's not like uh, um, whatever the children's version of Las Vegas was then, where everything is perfect. You know? Right, and they were able to obviously relate to you much, much better, I think, probably because yeah. of that. I, yeah, yeah, well, because I'm I'm one of the nine. The only nine of us lasted the entire filming of the show, The 39 Kids. Uh, there were two that were on for two seasons. One made quite an impression, and she unfortunately left us uh, January 6th of this year. Uh, Cheryl, she did uh, season two and three, but she was uh, very talented and uh, warm, and it came through. 
she was very, very popular, got lots of mail, and uh, she died prematurely on January 6th, which uh, bothered a lot of us. People talked uh, a lot about her smile, which was wonderful, but she um, uh, was very, uh, she had a grace that nobody else, nobody else had. And after, um, she was the most successful after the show, except for uh, Annie, uh, Annette, doing a lot of TV and film, and uh, she was on, let's see, Leave it to Beaver for two seasons. It's either, uh, I didn't watch Leave it to Beaver, but, uh, uh, and we couldn't tape things then. Uh, she, she was with Wally's, uh, or the Beaver's uh, girlfriend for two years. But then she married Lance Rappenlow, and she, uh, she left show business. Uh, and she was very, uh, very involved in charities all of her life. Uh, she gave a lot to things. Um, and it was, uh, it was a real shock to all of us. Uh, I had my wife and I had just moved to, to Oregon from California, and uh, our uh, things weren't hooked up yet. I didn't find out until a day later that she had died. And it was, uh, it was uh, very unhappy for me. And then she's the fourth of the 39 kids uh, to uh, no longer be with us. Um, there were three earlier. Right. Now, when the, the show first started, you're one of. 24, I guess, original... Yeah, well, the first season, there were 24. Right, on. right. They kept 10, and then they hired back, and they realized they didn't need as many. So they hired seven more the second year. And they kept, uh, if I remember correctly, only one of those, which was Cheryl, and then they um, hired six more for the third season. And people don't realize it, but we were only on four years, and so we only filmed three seasons, but we were doing five shows a week. And the seasons were longer than they now are, so that's a lot of shows. Uh, the, the estimate from Disney is something like uh, 340 shows, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Right. Now, do you remember what that, that first day was like when you show up on the set for the first day of filming? Well, it, I, even though you're a pro, uh, as I was, you're nervous because you don't know what the heck's going on. Um, so you, you want to figure out what, you don't know what the thing is. I mean, it's not a sitcom. It's not a variety show, except that you had to sing and dance, but uh, we didn't know what we were going to be doing, how it was going to work, or who the other 23 kids were, and all that stuff. So it was like going to school for the first time in a way, uh, except we were obviously older than um, kids who start the first grade, but it was very like that. And then we would, you know, find people like, uh, there was 12 boys and 12 girls, and I looked around and I said, that one. <laughs> and fell for Annie pretty quick. But I had mentioned about her uh, uh, before um, that she has uh, something that I identified a long time ago, only not at the time when we were doing the show, but later. And what I, I fell for, she has always said that she wasn't uh, the best actress, nor the best singer, nor the best dancer, although she was very talented. It was all free. But she had charisma, and it's a misused term now. Almost they say it about too many people, and it's not true. But she came on screen or in a room or whatever, and everybody noticed. Mm-hmm. They just did. They, they were compelled to. They had no choice. So that's what Annie's always. I keep in touch with Glenn and Annie. And, uh, and that's her husband, and um, uh, keep up uh, see what's going on and all that. Yeah, I mean, she was very much, you know, instantly sort of. America's sweetheart, and she was, from what oh, I understand, yeah. you know, Walt's sweetheart too. I mean, Walt. I mean, was it something that just happened, or was she sort of, you know, chosen as she is going to be the one that's going to? Shine? No, no, they, the, the people chose her. Uh, she wasn't chosen in that way uh, ahead of time. I mean, Walt did the original choosing, which is why she was on the show. But uh, it wasn't until she started getting more fan mail than everybody else. And she also, for the time, you got to remember, the fifties is a very different time than now. People forget. That there were a lot of things going on then. Uh, civil rights was just, just starting, and, and things were different. Uh, we had black kids on, on Talent Roundup. That was unusual. 
and uh, we had uh, two Hispanic kids the first year, which is very unusual, uh, uh, Mary Espinosa and Dickie Dodd, although Dickie Dodd was not related to Jimmy, Jimmy Dodd. Uh, and we had uh, some Jewish kids on, and uh, Doreen is Jewish, and uh, Annie was very definitely ethnic as Italian. And at that time, uh, that's not what uh, was shown on TV. So this was very innovative, too. And that's, I mean, we'll talk about a number of ways that the show and Walt was an, inter- I mean, was an innovator, even as something as simple as the opening animation. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. it's the 50s. Everything is shown in black and white, yet mm-hmm. he has that um, shot in color in anticipation yeah, no, of what's I have color. that on my website. Um, you click on it, you go to YouTube, and you can see the whole thing in color. Yeah, it's... And they have it on some of their DVDs, too. Exactly, exactly. You can get the Walt Disney uh, Treasures DVDs. But, you know, you, mm-hmm. you talked about uh, it kind of being like school. And I think in a number of ways, it sounds like it kind of was, because much like in school, there's little groups and cliques, and there's oh, you yeah. know, the varsity team oh, yeah. and the junior varsity team. Tell us about, you know, the red team and the white team and the blue team. Well, the way that broke down was uh, they simply had to uh, find a way to work around things as they existed, and this is the way it existed. At that time, kids could work six days a week instead of five. But on five of those days, uh, they had to have uh, three hours of school a day and an hour for lunch. That's half your work day. So um, they then would be able to work for four hours. So what they would do is have one team uh, that would be rehearsing, and one team would be in school, and one team would be shooting. And that's how they got all of that product uh, out there in time. Uh, and, and it wasn't it wasn't easy, but once they got the hang of it, uh, it was it was uh, less of a, 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 a you know a craziness on <laughs> the second and third season because people were rushing around saying, "Get over there, shoot this, and learn this." And I need any of it. And then you had to run back and have fifteen minutes or a half an hour and say, well, "Write an essay." And, <laughs> and it was it was kind of hectic, but uh, it, it was fun. It was an enjoyable uh, thing to do. And uh, uh, it was it was just um, unique, no question about it. What were you making? I mean, do you remember what you were making a week? Sure, one eighty-five a week. Well, okay, which at the we time we had seven seven-year contracts uh, uh, and uh, uh, six months uh, options, guaranteed uh, twenty-two works uh, paid weeks, whether we worked or not. I mean, they, I mean, they always did find something for us to do. Uh, like the circus, but 22 out of 26, and you got a, a, a perk uh, if your option was picked up. Uh, a lot of the kids weren't. Uh, the majority were just one season. Four, there were actually 28 the first season, because four uh, got aced right away, or pretty soon. One the first day, and then uh, one in two or three weeks, and then two more uh, in about a month. Uh, well, let's say six weeks, six, seven weeks. But um, yeah, that's that's the way it worked. At the end of the contract, you were making five hundred bucks a week if you had lasted a whole seven mm-hmm. years, and the only person who did that was, was Annie. Now, I, forgive me, but putting it in context, was one eighty-five a week? Was that standard? Was that good? Was that that was that was Screen Actors Guild minimum <clears throat> at that time? But you got to understand that uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, a new car costs three or four grand. Gotcha. And that's a Cadillac. Right. <laughs> you got to understand that you could buy a house for ten thousand dollars. Right. And then you said a net. So you start thinking about that. And you say, "Well, wait a second here. Wait, right. oh, I see. Uh, it, right. it wasn't like a pittance, but it it was the minimum that the union allowed, as opposed to well, the cinema already made a lot more. Those guys were up for more money. They made more money right away. Right. And the second version, they made almost what we would have made at the end of seven years. It was only a year later. 
I didn't find that until the fifties, but that's 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 what it was. And Annette was the only one who got up to that five hundred dollar pay scale. Uh, yeah, actually, she tried to get out of the contract and failed because what would happen is that she would be loaned out for big money to then do a film, and then she only got what her you know contractual uh, fee was. And then after that, after her first marriage, she was married to a very prominent agent and uh, who handled telling the balance people like that, and she got out of her contract that second try. Hmm. Because it was unfair. It would be the same thing. They used to do that in the studios, you know, with uh, whether it's uh, James Canyon or whatever. They'd sign you as a contract player. And then if you became a hit, you were still making that money and they were making a fortune. Right. And you couldn't get any of it. That's just the way that should, you know, the business works. Yeah, now you talked about um, the fact that it lasted four seasons um, mm-hmm. and the shooting schedule. But something actually happened to you right before, it was right before, right during the third season that kept you out of, of some of the, the... I didn't do the, I didn't do the, uh, they were also on the teams, there was one team that did roll call. The only time everybody was an Oscateer, and there were 24 then, uh, did roll call, was at the, uh, the first, our first TV appearance at Disneyland uh, in 1955. But there were just a sum of us who did roll call. And on the third year, I was practicing and doing a handstand. I fell down and I took this chunk out of my cheek, uh, about the size of a silver dollar. It couldn't be covered by makeup. And somebody said, um, now they had no idea the show was going to be running, you know, 53 years later. Uh, but uh, they said, we can't have one kid who's got this thing on his face for every opening, which is the roll call, and every closing where we sang the alma mater. Now it's time to say goodbye to him. And uh, so they said, well, we can't have Bonnie in there. Now, I did a lot of uh, featured stuff on the third season, but I wasn't a roll call. That's why also the uh, the pictures for the, um, the VHS uh, films, the 10 that came out in about 92, and uh, a lot of the uh, ones of those that have been transferred to DVD in the last few years, uh, have pictures of uh, nine kids, but they added Cheryl, so there were six girls and three boys, as opposed to the nine of us who lasted the entire filming, which was filming, which was five girls and four boys, and that's that's why I wasn't in roll call the last year. Hmm. You know, Bobby said, but someplace recently, um, um, uh, that uh, I think it was a W. Tommy that uh, Tommy replaced me in roll call, which is just. Silly. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> but we're all getting older, so things like that creep in. Right. And you start to, you know, it doesn't it gets less important, I guess, maybe as time goes on. But, mm, you, but you know, we were talking about the, the teams and, and uh, you're, you're sort of uh, being featured on the show. You obviously were recognized very much for your talent as a dancer. That's um, the main way, yeah. But really, as an actor, too, you were given, I guess, some maybe leeway that other... No, no, I've, I've read that online, too, and it's not true. You didn't. You don't ad-lib in those situations unless you're Don Rickles or somebody who's a big <laughs> star. Uh, otherwise, you get fired. No, 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 I, I never uh, ad-lib. What I might do is continue on while we're shooting more than the other kids, because I was a pro. You didn't stop <laughs> until the director told you to stop. I, that gave me a bad situation once. We were doing this uh, this number, and uh, the three, the three, uh, what most people consider the three best dancers on the show were Sharon, Bobby, and myself. And uh, so when I was dancing, uh, Sharon and I were in the, the front row, and we did this um, Tyrolean thing where the guys were wearing these silly hats with big feathers, which we didn't much care for because they covered our, our waves, our pompadour. And these um, later hosen, which are weird shorts with uh, suspenders and have all these goo all over them. So I wasn't too pleased anyway, but I was smiling. And uh, we started to shoot, and um, uh, the, uh, 
right below the zipper of my pants, all the way up to the waistband in the rear, just came open. I'm dancing with part of my shorts exposed. But I continued when we finished the shot, and then I went to tell uh, Sid Miller, the director, what had happened. He felt it was sort of a personal affront to him, and I said, well, I couldn't help it. I didn't try to do that, and I'm embarrassed, because I'm, you know, I was 13, and my shorts are showing in the shot, but they had to reshoot it. But those things happened. And no, I didn't. I didn't admit. If something came up and there was a miscue on on camera, the same as I would on stage, I would say something. And if they thought they liked it, they'd keep it. But that's the only way I would admit. And you know, you you reminisced a little bit about about the the shorts thing. But looking back, you know, do you have any single memory or or couple of memories that really sort of stand out as something? being the, the fondest or the funniest or the thing that you really carry with you today? Yeah, well, yeah, two things come to mind right away. The first one is this. In the first season, there were 24 kids, and I've heard a, a female musketeer re- repeat my story while I wasn't there recently. I, things change with age. But I, I'm walking along the street, and what was up there talking to another gentleman uh, around uh, on the way to the cafeteria, which is right on Dougie Drive there by the animation building. And he had his pipe in his mouth, and he was talking to this guy, and I walked by. And he says, uh, hello, Lonnie. I said, oh, uh, hi, Mr. Disney. Uh, good to see you. And then I went out of the cafeteria, and I was thinking to myself, there's, there's 24 kids here, and Walt Disney knows who <laughs> I am. And that instant, I realized I was wearing my shirt, which said in huge letters, Lonnie. I mean, <laughs> the other one is when we did the, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club Circus, because we were there uh, before the park opened. That means this. One, no lines. Number two, uh, we got to go on the rides. Not every day, but sometimes. And um, uh, the guys liked, you know, uh, the teacups because we could uh, get four guys and one would go until we got tired. And then we would get it going so fast we were all busy and we hoped nobody would upchuck on anybody else. And uh, But the cars were great, the Autopia, because uh, I wanted to have a car long before 16. And they had governors on them. At that time, they weren't on a rail or a track. And um, they had governors that kept them down to like five miles an hour. But they had the governors off in the morning. They had to warm them up. So this saved the guys driving around for them, these dope little cars. But for the guys, this is like having a car. And you can get up to like 10 and 11 miles an hour on these cars. That was, yes, that's that's really awesome <laughs> at, at that age. Uh, it was very cool. You um you mentioned Walt Disney and and I have to ask you about Walt himself. You know, mm-hmm. either do you remember the the first time you met him or or just you know some of your interactions with him? I I, I remember my general reaction. Not the first time uh, I met him. I may have been uh, uh, too nervous, even though I was a pro. I mean, Walt Disney uh, was a legend even then. And he was still alive. Um. He was very avuncular, like your uncle. You know, he was just very always uh, open and uh, and cordial. And um, uh, people, uh, a lot of people now say that he was around our set a lot. That's not true. He would be there occasionally, and we shot a few things with him, like um, the fourth anniversary of Disneyland. Uh, they were going to make a movie of of Oz. And uh, we were trying to convince him on camera, so we did that together, and we did a number from the show, and uh, it never got made, unfortunately. But um, he was just, uh, again, like your uncle. He wasn't like this, um, you know, uh, standoff star or some big um, um, uh, H.G. Not H.G. Wells, Orson Welles. (laughs) H.G. Wells is a historian. Uh, Orson Welles. Uh, He wasn't like you would think Hollywood people would be at all. A regular guy. 
Did you ever see him, um, you know, outside, you know, off the set? Whether you know, did he? No, I did not. Um, one or two of the other Musketeers, uh, uh, I think Bob ran into him once someplace uh, where he was vacationing, but uh, no, I did not. Right. Now, at at the time, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure nobody probably does, especially you, because you're a kid and and you're dating Annette Funicello. But did you did you maybe realize at the time, or did anybody realize at the time that you were a part of? something big, not just for the Disney company, but really for, for television and especially children's programming as a whole? Well, we did, uh, again, uh, you know, got to realize, get history straight and realize that I had heard about the Screaming Women for Frank Sinatra uh, prior to my time. But, you know, uh, the Beatles hadn't happened yet. And then there was Elvis. But hearing while you're working that your show's a big hit and all that stuff and getting fan mail, it's, it's all nice, but it didn't really... Uh, hit us uh, tangibly until we went on the road the first time and we flew into Oklahoma City. And as we're, you know, landing, we're seeing all these thousands of people around. And at first I thought maybe something bad had happened or something. I didn't know what was going on. And they were all there to see us. And they were singing our songs and saying our names as we got off the plane. And uh, uh, they put us on a bus and and took us downtown to the TV station. And the the, the cops had on their their sirens and their lights leading us through. And it was just uh, an amazing thing. And and then it was concrete for everybody. I mean, it was solid. He said, we're hits. (laughs) This is really a big deal here. But for you, I mean, as a kid, you're now... You're idolized and you're envied and probably to a certain degree you're revered by, by millions of kids across the country. I mean, your name now mm-hmm. isn't Lonnie. It's, it's Mouseketeer Lonnie. You know, it's, it's look, it's tough enough, I guess, growing up as a kid, but now you are a part of something else, you know, something yes. so much larger. Uh, that's a bit bigger than you, sure. Sure, but uh, again, fortunately, having been in the business a long time, I could handle that. It wasn't a problem. I didn't act any differently than I did before. I didn't put on any airs, or I was still the same Lonnie I was. And uh, uh, even after the show, uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of the ones that had uh, my own fan clubs, like Annie, uh, as opposed to the, there were a lot of clubs for the, the whole club, even though they would have favorites who would be for the Mickey Mouse Club, as opposed to for Lonnie or Annette uh, or uh, Cheryl or whoever. Um, but uh, uh, that did come about. On the other hand, I went through, I wrote a piece, uh, um, I, I've written for a lot of magazines and newspapers as well as uh, books and plays and, and poetry and uh, some TV stuff. Um, and I, it, it bothered me after the show because I was trying to be, uh, you know, I was three years ahead in school. That folds into the dating at nine. So, you got to understand, I was 14 in my senior year of high school, and that was, uh, uh, I finished that after the last season that we filmed. And I went straight through a bachelor's and a master's and then some work on a doctorate. Uh, and none of the other Musketeers had done that until Karen went back uh, in her middle years to get um, a, a, a bachelor's degree and then a, uh, a graduate degree in her work because uh, she counsels women. But... Uh, I was trying to be, uh, I wanted to be a young Cary Grant Fred Astaire, and with the years, it wasn't working for me, you know? So I dissociated myself from the show, and I thought of it as a kid's show. Well, it was a kid's show, but I was trying to be an adult. Now, a lot of people go through that, but uh, since I was three years ahead in school, I was hanging out with guys and girls who were three or four years older than me and dating girls of that age, and I was fairly sophisticated, and uh, and, uh, it bothered me because it kept me a kid as opposed to an adult. 
And it wasn't until 1980 when we uh, all came together uh, in a live show at Disneyland. Uh, there was just four of us. And then we did the um, uh, 25 Years of Musketeers, which was a TV special for the 25th anniversary. I was the only one who worked behind camera, too, as the second writer. Uh, but we were all hosts. And I realized that people had not forgotten. On the contrary, they were just enthused. They, they went nuts seeing us. Uh, and we even heard uh, at a parade in Disneyland that year that uh, we heard shouted out. Somebody said, "God, they look great! I thought they were dead." <laughs> because uh, you know it was so long ago in their childhood. But uh, it was it was a very uh, great thing, and I started to realize the errors uh, of my thinking about the show because it meant so much to people. Uh, it, it was just an amazing thing. One time, uh, and this is later, uh, or another occasion at Disneyland, we're signing autographs, and I see this guy walk up, and I figure, I hope security's here, because this looks really difficult. Like, he's like a biker, you know? had tattoos all over, and uh, a big beard, and he just looked like it was going to be trouble. Instead, he came up, and uh, he asked for my autograph, and, and, and I'm not signing it. He says, you know, I... Uh, my life is going the wrong way, and uh, I, I listen to, to Jimmy Dyer's songs, and uh, I turn it around. It's real important to me. Yeah. And it just makes you say, my God, this is more than just entertaining people. You, you've been a, really a part of people's lives. And uh, that kind of thing makes you just, uh, just to be one part uh, of the show makes you really feel good. It's Again, it's not like being a star or being an entertainer or being an actor. It's uh, a whole different experience. Right. And, I mean, look, your, your career beyond the Mickey Mouse Club, you know, is worthy of, of clearly, you know, obviously the book that you wrote, and I could talk to you for, for hours. I mean, you worked and, and met people like Jimmy Stewart, Elvis Presley, Roy Rogers, Bob Hope, Sammy yep. Davis, Danny Kaye, Jack Benny, Dean Martin. Yep. I mean, yep. again... Sammy and and Dean, I could talk to you about, you know, for hours, but you know, and, and obviously you did. You also well, I can tell you, Sammy. I can tell you what Sammy drank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he liked bourbon and coke in, a, in what's called a bucket glass. That's like a mai tai glass with right. ice. And I can also tell you, I didn't work with. Uh, I worked with Sammy in Sweet Charity for Bob Fosse and Sharon McLean. Uh, it was Bob's uh, Fosse's first movie. Uh, but uh, Hank Fonda was doing the last play uh, before he died. Uh, first Monday in October at the Kennedy Center. And uh, I don't like crowds, so uh, it was right after the show. So I went to the farthest bar, and there was nobody there. And this guy walks up, and he's still wearing his costume, a full black robe as a Supreme Court judge. And it was Hank Fonda. And I very wisely didn't say, God, you're really good in that, uh, Mr. Fonda, and uh, I'm in show this. No, 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 no. So he and I sat there for 10 minutes, and nobody else came over, I think, because he was there, and they said, oh, we better not bother him. Uh, because he did have a reputation. And, yeah, I find it very friendly. And we sat there and talked about scotches. Now, uh, I guess I was in my 40s. Um, and uh, we found that we both like a single malt called Dal Winnie, uh, which is really great and doesn't have much peat. But <laughs> we were talking about what they didn't have there and stuff. And it was just a very, very interesting uh, situation. But I never worked with him. But it was an occasion that happened to me. The same way, um, my second time in Europe, I was 20. I just finished my master's degree. And I went to the uh, Blue Angel to see Woody Allen, who at that time was a stand-up comedian. He had been a writer, but uh, he had not made any of the films that made him famous. And I, uh, being a brash young fellow at times, uh, said no back saying, I'd like to talk to you about uh, uh, comedy, you know, Lenny Bruce, things like that. He came out and joined me. 
too. I said, the table. I offered him a drink. He declined. He looked exactly like he always looks, you know, the disheveled kind of sweater and thing and all that giant. And we sat there and talked about Shelley Berman and Mort Saul and, and Lenny, uh, the kind of things that Lenny was doing uh, as opposed to his problems with uh, drugs and his problems with the police. But he was doing things that uh, the great uh, late George uh, Carlin did later, but Lenny started all that stuff. And we talked it for like 15 minutes, just the two of us. He was very, uh, you know, like a regular guy, no big deal. And I had no way of knowing he was going to become a, a brilliant filmmaker. Yeah, I, I um, again, I'm going to direct people when we're finished over to your website and definitely to, to check out your book where they can hear and read about. Thanks. Um, a, well, a yeah, I would like to, if I, excuse me, but I would like to clarify that the book is has has you you learn things about the Mickey Mouse Club that you never knew, like the day to day process we went through and and all kinds of things. And some of the some of the friendships were for our friends. Um, Mouseketeer Sharon and Annette have been friends since the show, and uh, Cheryl and Doreen, uh, the same thing. Um, but the book is really about my life, and not just about show business. Uh, oh, there's a lot of show business in this, because I've been doing it for 60 years, but I have uh, five years before then. <laughs> I, I actually start off where I start, and I bring it to January 2009. But it deals with a lot of other things, too, uh, some, some serious matters. For one, for instance, uh, and it's not because of my experience, but I, I don't think it's... Um, and I've written articles to this effect. I don't think kids should be in show business. I think... Uh, if the children, as opposed to the parents, really want to act or sing or dance, they should uh, perform, they should take classes, they should do it at school, they should do it in community theater. But when money comes into it, it becomes a problem. And it's much worse now because compared to what we made, I mean, kids can make millions. And I just don't think it's a good idea until they've minimum finished high school or 18 years old. Now, you wouldn't think that since I've never been in a, a, the tabloids or had problems or all that stuff. But it, it's something that I think parents ought to think about instead of saying, wow, you know, Molly is so talented. We've just got to get her out there. Right. Uh, I, I am, uh, that's not my opinion. It is just an opinion. Uh, other people will tell you differently. But um, So there are substantive matters. Uh, my search for God, I, I have Bible studies every week. You know, I was uh, thinking of going, you know, doing, doing the ministry. Thing and I, I changed my uh, my way about that. So, the book is not uh, just a showbiz an anecdote here, anecdote there. Uh, book. It's it's a memoir. It's my life. Well, it seems uh, very interesting. And again, you know, from your acting career to directing and choreography and writing, there's so much more to learn. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately, in many people's eyes, myself included, you will always be known as Mouseketeer Lonnie Burr. And that's actually the name of your website. It's MouseketeerLonnieBurr.com. There you can find Confessions of an Accidental Mouseketeer. I'll put all these links in the show notes. Uh, and again, thank Lonnie. You, thank you very much. Thank you so very much. Um, well, I've enjoyed it. I, I always enjoy talking about the show and, and, and about the people and about the times. And it's, it's great. I, and I thank you for having me on. I appreciate you sharing that all with us. You're welcome. See you real soon. Why? Because we like you.
You know by that sound that it's time to announce the winner of our last Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. Thank you again to everybody who played. You guys, once again, did a phenomenal job on these. I hope you're having fun. Hope maybe that you're picking up a little bit of information, a little bit of trivia along the way. And uh, I, what I did last time was I wanted to make it a little bit longer because it wasn't going to be a one-week contest. It was a two-week contest. Wanted to make it a little bit more challenging because some of you asked uh, to stop have me throwing softballs as you termed them. And uh, gave you a bonus question as well. So before we talk about the prizes and the winners, let's go back. Let's review the questions and listen to the answers. First question was, you know that I love Horizons. But before it opened under that name, what was its working title? And I was looking for, it would have taken Century 3, because that's uh, the United States was about to enter its third century of existence. So Century 3 was one. I also would have taken Future Probe, and many of you actually put both of those extra credit. Well, no real extra credit, but good job anyway. Second, what were the names of the bird and the robot in The Bird and the Robot Show? That was a show that took place, it was a post-show show in World of Motion, in Future World, and the name of the bird was Bird, and the name of the robot was Tiger. And I asked, what fireworks display did Wishes replace? And when it replaced Fantasy in the Sky, I thought I was going to be disappointed. Now Wishes is far and away my favorite fireworks show. Number four. The Discovery River in Disney's Animal Kingdom was once home to a boat ride, or as I said, actually home to three of them because it opened and closed a number of times, each one with a slightly different name. So I asked you, what were the names? of the three Discovery River rides. And if you got your issue three of Celebrations Magazine, this one should have been easy. It was the Discovery River Boats, the Discovery River Taxis, and the Radio Disney River Cruise. I did a small article about those. If you have Celebrations Magazine, go check that out. Number five, if you enter the mill on Tom Sawyer's Island, and not just look, but more importantly, listen carefully, you can hear the creaks and the groans play what song and if you listen very very carefully you can hear it play down by the old mill stream and trust me you don't want to even hear me try and hum it but it does come from the 1937 silly symphony cartoon called the old mill actually won the academy award for a best short subject in the cartoon and if you look really really carefully as well in the sort of cogs of the wheel see if you can find the little bluebird that also came from the film all right anyway number six From the old mill to outer space in Star Tours, I asked you what was your flight number for your trip to the moon of Endor, and it was ST-45, or Star Tours 45. It's actually said a couple of times in the cabin, uh, right before you launch, and again during your trip. And number seven, I asked you, where in the world have you heard this? Main Mouse Mickey, feeling kind of tricky, but the way he's always getting around. Go, go! Um, wow. That was the Mickey Mania Parade. That ran from June 1st, 1994, until uh, the start of the 25th anniversary celebration. When Remember the Magic started. That was October 1996. It actually was a pretty good parade. There was like 100 performers in there, lots of floats and balloons, a lot of Disney characters, almost 30 Disney characters in there. Um, very, you know, I have to play a little bit more. My main man, Mickey Mouse, is busting fresh out of sight. 
He wants y'all to chill hard and bump the bump while the mania grooves your moves. Mickey Mania is taking control. Maybe I'm just stuck in the 80s, but somebody had to literally sit down and go, okay, you're going to bust in fresh, out of sight. Uh, let's see. Chill hard and bump the bump. I wouldn't know how to bump the bump if I had to. Anyway, that was Mickey Mania. That was the last question. But there was also one more bonus question. And I told you to listen very carefully. I'm going to repeat it exactly as I did on that show. It was this. And I said, as you ply the rivers of America on the Liberty Square Riverboat and think back about its former name and the other ship that once sailed these waters along with it and after whom they were christened, you may also want to recall what other boats bore these names along a different body of water. If you take the number of passengers the current boat can hold and divide that by the number of feet deep the rivers of America really are, tell me what type of fictional building occupies the first floor of the fort on Tom Sawyer Island. I only asked you one question. I asked you to tell me what type of fictional building occupies the first floor. I'm sure many of you are yelling at me. While you asked for something challenging, I thought it would be a little tricky. The answer was the blacksmith shop. And if you look to the left as you walk into the fort, you can see the blacksmith. There's actually some animatronics in there, some cool sound effects coming out. Um, Kudos to, to so many of you. Some of you actually gave me all the answers and all the parts and and bravo on the research and the math. And I'm sorry if I kind of spun you around in circles. Some of you said, Lou, I can, I see you're trying to trick us. It's a red herring. And all you want is this one answer. Again, uh, congratulations to all of you. And I hope you had fun with it. And maybe if you learned about the number of feet deep the rivers of America are, well, then there you go. You got something out of it anyway. But let's go back to the prizes because I said because it was longer, because it was more challenging, I was going to give you not just the Walt Disney World trivia page-a-day calendar and the audio guide to Walt Disney World Main Street USA CD and the WDW radio button, but I was also going to give you some things as I was cleaning out some of my collection, getting ready to pack and move. I found two glow-in-the-dark haunted mansion figures. They're they're the Mariner and the Hitchhiking Ghost. They're small, glow-in-the-dark, unopened, still in the boxes, You get all those for getting the correct answer. And the bonus prize for this week, if you got Blacksmith or anything even remotely close to it, and you were the winner and were drawn randomly, you got a Club 33 pin. And it's an exclusive pin only available in Disney's private club in Disneyland. And the winner, who did get the bonus prize, the bonus question right this week, is Sarah McGovern. Awesome job, Sarah. Please email me your address. I will try and get your prizes out as soon as possible. Um, It may take a little while, depending on when I get your information because of the move, but congratulations on that. Again, thank you to everybody who played. There's actually going to be no new contest this week. I'm sorry about that, simply because of my move and just the craziness there, but I promise that I will keep them going. I have a few more ideas to make them even more fun, maybe even a little more challenging. So definitely stay tuned. Again, thank you all so very much for playing. Stay tuned for more contests coming soon.
Thanks for tuning in again this week. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Big thanks to my guest, Lonnie Burr, or should I say, Mouseketeer Lonnie Burr. Please visit his website at, you guessed it, MouseketeerLonnieBurr.com. There you can also pick up a copy of his new book, my memoir, Confessions of an Accidental Mouseketeer. Now, I know this show was a little bit shorter than usual, and for that, I apologize. I'm actually in the process of following the dream and packing and moving to Florida in the next couple of weeks. That being said, I promise you that I will not miss a week of the show as I have some great segments planned in the coming weeks. I have not missed a show and I refuse to during this time and I'll even be bringing you new video segments as well. Speaking of video, I hope you had a chance to watch and enjoy my daily Disney Diary videos from my last trip to Walt Disney World. On each day of my trip, I took some video as I walked through the parks, at events, on attractions, and just some of my time in and around the parks, highlighting some hidden treasures, overlooked details, trying to bring a little bit more of the magic to you at home. There are four videos that run about five minutes each. You can watch them right from your web browser on the WDW Radio Show website by clicking on the Videos tab at the top of the page, or you can get them right in your existing iTunes feed, so you can watch them through iTunes or on your iPod, iPhone, or iTouch devices. Many of you seem to enjoy these, so it's something I will definitely be doing on upcoming trips as well, in addition to the other videos I'm going to be producing, which I think you're going to enjoy. Stay tuned for the site for new releases, and please come by the forums or Facebook or Twitter. Let me know what you think of the videos. And also, big thanks to everybody who played along with my Where in the World game, where I posted photos from Walt Disney World to Twitter and Facebook and asked you guys to identify where they were. I had a lot of fun doing that. Hope you did as well. And again, hope that it's just something else to kind of bring a little bit of Walt Disney World to you at home or at work. I said at the beginning that I was going to have an update on the Everest Adventurers Weekend, which is going to take place from September 24th through the 27th, 2009, where we have rented out the Adventurers Club for a private dinner and show on Thursday, September 24th. We have special package rates, including three night stays, tickets to the dinner and show, and a lot more. And first and foremost, I have great news, and that is updated pricing, which includes an even better room rate. Because as part of the package, we were able to secure some rooms that are discounted off the rack rate, sometimes up to $100 or more off per night. Examples of some of the nightly room rates we have include $68 a night at All-Star Movies or Pop Century, $112 a night at Port Orleans Riverside, or at Disney's Beach Club Resort, $189 per night. Again, rooms are starting to sell out at these rates. For more information, you can visit Mouse Fan Travel. Contact them for a free, no-obligation quote. Now, I do know that free dining has been released for Visa card holders and that it may be coming for other guests as well. If you have already booked or if you have any questions, again, contact Mouse Fan Travel about all of your options. Many of you have emailed me and called me and asked me, for those of you that are locals or cast members or DVC members and you just want tickets to the event without any sort of room, we will be releasing tickets soon. But again, I think you're going to find when they come out that the package may be a better deal for you. Again, stay tuned to the show for more information and what the release date for tickets only for the Everest Adventurers Weekend. Again, you can find a link 
over on WDWRadio.com, where you can visit MouseFanTravel.com for more information. And speaking about meets and get-togethers, first, thanks to everybody who came by March's Meet of the Month in France in World Showcase. Had a great time last Saturday meeting and getting to chat with so many new friends and faces. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your vacation, coming by and saying hello. I'm actually not sure when the next Meet of the Month is going to be. Because I'm moving in the next couple of weeks, I am going to try my best to do one in April possibly closer to the end of the month. Please stay tuned for more information if I'm able to swing that and make that happen. But I can tell you that I will be having one on the weekend of May 1st, as I will be attending and sponsoring the Studios 20 event with WDWCelebrations.com. Again, stay tuned for the exact date and time and location, but it likely will be either on that Saturday or that Sunday, May 2nd or 3rd. One more quick meat-related item of big, big thanks to everybody that came by the Farewell to New Jersey meet that we had at Menlo Park Mall this past weekend. Uh, Christy, who helped put that together, organize it. It was so incredible to meet so many people. Um, I was truly humbled and so very grateful to all of you that came out um, just to kind of get together for a couple of hours. It was so, so wonderful to meet so many people, and uh, it it was a great way to have a sort of send-off from New Jersey. So thanks to Christy. Thanks to everybody who came by. It really, really means the world to me and uh, will help me leave New Jersey with a really, really fond memory. Don't forget that if you have any questions that you want answered on the show, please email me at lou at wdwradio.com, or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call into the toll-free voicemail at 888-703-2171. Call in with a question, a comment, or even call in from the parks. You know I love hearing from you while you're having a good time at Walt Disney World. If you aren't following me on Twitter, please head over to twitter.com slash Sign up for a free account. You can get my instant updates that way. You'll find a link to my Twitter page right on the homepage of wdwradio.com on the right-hand side. There you'll also find links to Facebook. Come by, friend me up on Facebook, join the WDW Radio Show group. It's another great way to stay connected. Also there, I'll be posting updates, photos, meets of the month, upcoming events, lots more going on. Again, Facebook and Twitter, both free to join. Speaking of staying connected, I will be doing another WDW Radio Live soon, again with the move. Things are a little bit crazy. Going to try and do one in April. Have something planned really big coming up in the next couple of months. Stay tuned for that. It's a real-time, interactive audio-video chat where you guys can come into the chat room, ask questions. We've done it a few times in the past. Had a great time for that. Again, Twitter and Facebook, great way to stay updated as to when the next live show is going to be. Don't forget to head on over to celebrationspress.com. There you can subscribe or buy individual issues of Celebrations Magazine. It is the new print magazine put out by me and Tim Foster of Top 10 with Tim fame, celebrating the magic of Walt Disney World, the theme parks, the resorts, the movies, and so much more. There's also articles from many of the names and faces that you know from the Disney community, including Hidden Mickeys with Steve Barrett and so, so much more. And we're also looking for you to contribute, whether you have an article, a letter to the editor, photos, suggestions, anything that you want to share, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And we're also looking for help. We want to, if you want to contribute your time and talents, we are looking for assistance in a number of areas, including sales, marketing, customer service, distribution, and more. Again, use my email address if you want to contact me about that. 
Look for issue four, which is currently uh, being reviewed, coming soon. But again, you can order back issues of issue two and issue three. Unfortunately, issue one is sold out. The website, again, for that is celebrationspress.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors. Again, especially Mouse Fan Travel, helping to put together the Everest Adventurers Weekend. For more information or to book your Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, or Adventure by Disney Vacation, visit mousefantravel.com. And as always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review us in iTunes. Tell your friends. Come say hi on Facebook. Join the WDW Radio Show group. I love hearing from you. And of course, my friends, thank you again so very much for taking the time and tuning in. I really, really do appreciate it. So until next time, remember, always keep moving forward. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou, if this is Justin Machoni, the Disney Parks Chief Magic Official, calling in to say hello. Uh, just want to let you know, I love the new Daily Disney Diary video idea. Just watched your first video and wanted to call in and kind of leave some of my favorite traditions uh, on your voicemail today. Um, I don't have a particular park that I have to go to first. I love all of them, and, and I can find something incredibly exciting to do right when I get off of the plane and in each of them. But for me, no first day at Disney is complete without making sure that I am in either Epcot or the Magic Kingdom at the end of the night to either see Wishes or Illumination. It just doesn't really feel like my vacation is off and running if I haven't seen one of those two incredible nighttime spectaculars um, on the first day of my trip. So I'm sure you've heard lots of great Lots of great traditions and a lot of, you know, things that are really important to all of your listeners and callers. Um, but for me, it's, it starts with those nighttime spectaculars. And if I have an evening flight and I land, I, I get there as quickly as I can because there's just nothing quite like fireworks at night in Walt Disney World. Hope you're having a great trip, and I will talk to you later. Hey, Lou, this is John Beal, and um, I just have to tell you about a very random throwback to Disney I encountered today. I was in um, an elementary school library today, and they were watching a video about books, I guess, and all of a sudden I heard an oh-so-familiar voice being spoken, and the narrator of the video was the same narrator, or was the same person, I forget his name, but the voice on the monorail that tells you about the different parks and everything, and for a split second, I was thrown back to Disney, and I thought that I was on the monorail. So, a very random throwback to Disney, but it was very amazing hearing that familiar voice today in the in the real world outside of Disney. All right, see you later. Bye. Hello, this is Terry from Chicago. I just had to call and tell you I just found this station this week, and so far I've listened from one ten to episode ninety six. I know I'm going backwards, but I'm really digging it. I love the music. I love the way you do it, and thank you so much for your. Daily Disney Diary. It just made me cry this morning, so I just had to call and tell you thank you so much because I wanted to go so bad to see the flower show, and I know you're going to take me there. I can't wait till you go to Epcot. But thank you so much. This is a great show. Thank you. Bye. Hey, Lou. This is Shanna, a.k.a. Disney Queen One. Um, just watched your video. I think it's great. Glad you had a good time. Looks like you had fun. Um... As far as our traditions go, we just hang out at the hotel first that we get there. Then we make our way to the Magic Kingdom the next day, spend a full day. 
Um, as far as traditions go, we usually get our silhouettes um, done on Main Street. That's been a tradition every year we've gone, and I've even started my husband on it. So this year when we go in April, we're going to start my daughter on that tradition, too. So, And writing the small world is also a tradition, too. Um, thanks, Lou, for all the great work you do and bringing us the magic wherever we are. Bye. Hi, Lou. It's Mike calling from Massachusetts once again. Um, third time's a charm. Three times in a three weeks in a row. Uh, just calling about your D23. Uh, I joined, and I also got a gift membership for my fiancé. Uh, it's Friday afternoon. We just got our membership cards. Um, on the cards itself, it says one of the things that I don't think has been mentioned is that for the uh, D23 Expo, being a member allows you early one-hour entry before everyone else. Um, that's what I read on the card. Uh, we also joined because we are Disney fans, and we're anxious to see what uh, what we get and what this, this entitles us to and, and the special information. Plus, we uh, collect pins, and we were fortunate. We ended up with, uh, so far, every D23 pin. We have the shareholder pin and the three-off Disney shopping, and there's also a special D23 from Disney Movie Rewards. Uh, keep up the great work, and uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing from me again. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for the video. I would have never guessed that's what you looked like. Um, I was picturing a short little guy with a bad come-over. Uh, apparently, you have a little more hair than I always picture you. Take care. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Josh from Michigan. Um, I've already called a few times today, but my brother wanted to be on the show, so I told him about the Virgin Megastore closing, and this is what he thinks that should go in its place. Hi, Lou. This is Jacob. I think that the Virgin Megastore should be turned into a character spot like the one they have at Epcot. It should have about 15 to 20 characters, and I think that would be cool. Bye. All right. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hi to Lou and my fellow Walt Disney World radio listeners. My name is Kathy Adams, and I have a challenge for everyone out there. I am sponsoring a week of kindness at the primary school where I work here in central Connecticut. Our goal is to perform 2,000 acts of kindness in one week. Here's how you can help us reach our goal and inspire others to spread kindness in the world. Think about the magic that Disney has given us. Remember how you felt when one of the cast members went above and beyond to make your vacation special? Let's take that magic and spread it outside of the parks. This week, go above and beyond and commit an act of kindness. Not sure what to do? Visit my blog at kindnessproject09.blogspot.com for over 100 ideas to get you started. For every posted act of kindness on my website, I will personally donate a dollar to the Dream Team Project, up to $100. You have until Friday, April 3rd at midnight to submit your acts of kindness. Once again, the website is kindnessproject09.blogspot.com. Thank you, Lou, for all your hard work, and I hope everyone has a wonderful week.